everyone, and welcome to Small Talk, a podcast where we explore the Boston Children's Hospital community through conversation. And along with us today is some are some special guests from Clinical Research Nursing and our special host, Eva Gomez. Eva, take it away. Welcome, everyone. We're very excited that you're listening today to our podcast. We have three very special guests who are joining us. Cindy Williams, Stacey Edwards-Overy, and Maggie Malsh. And they're here to talk about a lot of interesting information that you may not know about um, nursing research. Cindy, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your experience, what you do, and then we can go on to Stacey and then on to Maggie. My name is Cindy Williams, and here at Children's, um, I'm the Senior Director for the Clinical Research Unit, where we care only for kids that are enrolled on research studies, and that unit is called the ETU, the Experimental Therapeutics Unit, and I'm the Senior Director for a group of about 45 interdisciplinary team members where we support investigators from across the institution in conducting any kind pretty much of clinical research studies. So that might be a gene therapy trial or some other novel therapeutic. It could be any type of a research study. Fantastic. Welcome, Cindy. Stacy. Hi there. I'm Stacy Edwards-Overy, and I am one of the clinical coordinators in the ETU. I am a nurse by training, was an inpatient nurse at Children's for many years before I moved over to the outpatient setting here in the ETU. So I am one of the clinical research nurses that takes care of the patients um, as they come in for their outpatient visits if they're enrolled in the clinical trial. Last but not least, Maggie. Uh, my name is Maggie Walsh, and I work very closely with Cindy Williams in the Clinical Research Operations Center. I'm the frontline manager for the 45 interdisciplinary staff, which includes everybody from clinical research nurses, clinical research nurse practitioners, regulatory specialists, research coordinators. We also provide monitoring service for FDA-regulated trials, and we provide support for anybody in the hospital who needs it um, related to clinical research. So they can come to us and say, we have a project, we need support, and Cindy and I will work with them to build an appropriate study team for their work. Thank you so much. I want to open up with that first question. Tell us about nursing in the clinical research setting and how is it different from other nursing roles? As we do it at Children's, there are sort of three primary clinical research nursing roles. And one is called a research nurse, or sometimes they're called a clinical trials nurse. And those are nurses that focus primarily on direct caregiving. So the work that Stacy does with the team of nurses up here on the experimental therapeutics unit, that is often referred to as a research nurse where, would you say, Stace, maybe 60% of the, the role is in direct care, patient care, and maybe 40% of the role is supporting activities. So getting a research study ready to get up and running, which is a significant undertaking. And then there are research nurse coordinators. Those are more in Maggie's shop and they focus less on direct patient care and they focus more on coordinating the study. They may have some direct patient care, Again, a a less of a direct caregiving role where the expertise lies in understanding protocol implementation. It's a very broad, deep skill set that is unique to the research nurse coordinator. And then we also have research nurse practitioners, and they have kind of a split role 
where part of their time is spent in direct care and some of their time is spent in managing or coordinating research studies. I think one kind of really nice thing to me about research nursing is it's a very hopeful space for one thing in that it's the only way new therapies come to market is through well-conducted clinical research studies. And so when you care for kids today that don't have great outcomes, the only way to get to better outcomes is through well-conducted clinical research. So it's a space of improvement and hope where maybe today things aren't great. And I think it's a really nice role. It provides a different kind of balance than if all your time is in direct care. You know, I think it's a best fit for people that are really master clinicians in that that's always the backbone of what you're doing as a research nurse. But all your time is not spent thinking about 100% direct patient care. I don't know what you think about that, Stace and Maggie, if you find that to be true. I would think that that is what really sets clinical research nursing apart from clinical nursing at the bedside. I think it's the it's the one thing that's really unique to the role. And as Cindy mentioned, 40% of our work is really at the implementation level, which virtually means that you're working with these study teams to really deliver the best care to the patient at the bedside. So, you know, of course, we're administering therapeutics. Of course, we're monitoring side effects. Of course, we're doing those clinical pieces that are required. But there's a lot of forethought that goes into how can we mold best practices at Boston Children's Hospital to sort of, you know, what the investigator or the sponsor might need. The sponsor is the overarching person who kind of runs the trial. So I think that's been the most satisfying part of the job for me in particular is, you know, really drawing on my I would say pretty expansive clinical knowledge. I, I started at Boston Children's back in 1999. So I had a pretty deep <laughs> experience level, worked in Hemonc for a little bit of time. So, so had a little bit of experience in children, you know, participating in clinical trials. But moving to this setting, really, we take care of a broad spectrum of patients and work with, you know, a multidisciplinary team to really ensure the safest best practice reaches the patient. I would also agree. And our team in the Clinical Research Operations Center partners with the ETU for implementation of a lot of our protocols, but we also partner with other clinics throughout the hospital, inpatient units, everywhere that a, a research study could happen. We also end up being the liaison between a drug company sponsor and, and Boston Children's Hospital. So we oftentimes find that a nurse is very suited for something we call a, a nurse project management role. And really what you are is the person who oversees the implementation of the entire project. We often get drug company sponsors who come in with a protocol that they think has been updated to best support pediatric uh, centers. And we find many, many, many times that there are things that they have not taken into consideration in a pediatric population. And we oftentimes have to work with these sort of sponsors to make sure that things are implemented appropriately for the pediatric population. And, and as Stacy said, at Boston Children's Hospital. That's really interesting, and I hope we can continue elaborating on that. But before we move on, how does a nurse find their way to becoming a research nurse? How how did it happen for you? How have you seen it happen for others? Can you all share a little bit about your journey? Well, it, 
It's not too hard at Children's because this is a major academic medical center. In most departments and divisions or subspecialty practices, there's a, a robust sort of research arm of the work. And so there's always physicians or investigators that are working on research studies. And so often you can get acquainted with, you know, what's going on if you're working in one of those environments. I started, uh, well, frontier nurse here, you know, <laughs> uh, I was a, a hematology nurse practitioner for many, many years. And as part of that, there was a research study for kids with sickle cell disease with a drug called hydroxyurea. And so I worked as a research nurse in that study and then sort of became through different roles overseeing as a part of a triad of providers that revitalize longstanding children's cancer centers. Part of that work was to, they always have a very robust clinical trials operation was to learn about and run those clinical trials operations. And so that's really how I became more and more acquainted with clinical research and all the various really very interesting aspects that go along with that. So I think at Children's, it's easy to find out about clinical research. And of course, any nurse at Children's who would be interested could always reach out to one of us uh, where we'd be happy to talk with them about the role or you know, have them come shadow and have a look-see or talk with other nurses in our program who actually do the work. So I started in a, just a general pediatrics unit when I graduated from nursing school and was really interested in coming to Children's, to Boston Children's after that first couple of years. And so when I applied at Children's, in particular, this inpatient research unit was hiring and I interviewed there. And it was a very small, discrete unit. It was, I think, maybe six beds at the time. And it discrete in that we only took care of research patients inpatient. So it was really what drew me to Boston Children's. I really liked the environment. I thought that it was really exciting, you know, that we were doing cutting edge therapies and I was really excited to be part of the team. It was a, it was a really nice transition for me. And then sort of over time, as things do, children's, you know, the needs of the unit changed. Then we did less and less inpatient research. We needed a bigger outpatient space. And so the less patients that we took care of in an inpatient setting, the more room it made for other sort of overflow patients. But the core group of nurses that were hired on that unit kept our research knowledge base. It made sense that we would continue to be, you know, involved in the research that was happening that, you know, that required the use of the ETU. And so I, you know, led certain protocols even very early on in my career at Boston Children's and always stayed engaged in the research and really excited about it. And that was one of the reasons why I stayed, you know, we sort of merged with the hematology oncology unit over some time. And those patients also, you know, are participating on clinical trials, almost every single one of them, you know, their, their, tri their treatments are based on that. And so, again, I think it just broadened my research knowledge. And then when I saw that an outpatient position was open in the ETU, it just felt very natural to transition, you know, into that space. And then now I have an even greater opportunity to really influence from the indirect role, kind of like what a trial, how to get a trial to a patient. And I've been involved long enough that I actually have seen some of these investigative treatments become standard of care here at Children's, which is really something. And I don't, you know, not many nurses could really say that. So I think that's really what keeps me fully engaged in the process. 
Let's see. I uh, went to school for something different. I got a bachelor's in science and then I worked in a research lab, but a a bench research lab, you know, with patient samples and, and that sort of thing. And then before I went back to nursing school, went to nursing school and then worked at, got a job at Children's in the bone marrow transplant unit. Just as Stacy sort of alluded to, there are lots of clinical trials that happen in hematology and oncology all the time. And so, you know, your exposure to clinical trials um, just as a bedside nurse is um, is greater. However, uh, after several years in bone marrow transplant, I took a job with hematology oncology in their clinical research department. And so I helped implement clinical trials sort of in conjunction with the bedside nurse uh, for several years. And then I took a job with Cindy um, in the clinical research operations center. Uh, and I have been there for quite some time now. You know, it's a really exciting time to be a research nurse. You know, the last 10 to 15 years, there has been an absolute explosion in knowledge around genetics and genomics and basic science discoveries. And all these things are there to be translated into human therapies and first in human trials. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a very exciting time to see, you know, new approaches to really bad diseases in kids where today maybe there aren't great outcomes, uh, where this is the way forward. And so that always feels like work worth doing. It's not unusual to have studies where families are uh, with rare diseases are socially networked very tightly, and they are informed and waiting for the next study to open, hoping you know to be enrolled, hoping that there'll be you know an improved outcome for their kids. So you know it's not only interesting work; it, it just feels like work that is always important and worth doing, as is true for all nurse work, right? <laughs> And Teresa, I just, I saw your question about um, formal research training uh, in school. And I guess I always felt like, you know, there was a paragraph or two about clinical research uh, when you were, you know, taking your nursing classes or taking undergrad classes or sort of whatever. Most of my training, I feel like was was on the job. Um, I did go back and get a master's in clinical research nursing. So there was um, a very specific focus on research and, and clinical research nursing in that program. But other than that, most of you know my training was, was on the job. And um, there is other special training that research nurses take. So everybody in the research world has to take um, human subjects protection training uh, and good clinical practice training. So that's whether you're a nurse or a non-nurse, um, sort of standard across the board for sort of basic human subjects protection. You know, it was only in 2016 that the American Nurses Association recognized clinical research nursing as a specialty practice, which again acknowledges that there's advanced knowledge uh, required beyond uh, being an expert clinician. And for our own program, we have a competency-based in-depth orientation and onboarding program. And, you know, this is more and more common, you know, across institutions and across the countries. There's an important professional organization called IACRN, the International Association of Clinical Research Nurses. And they too are very uh, involved in working on certification and competency-based learning. But 
there's so much learning available at Children's in the whole domain of clinical research that you could not begin to attend everything. And it's just an amazing array of opportunities because the skill set, the knowledge base is so broad that there's so many things you need to know and understand, whether they're regulatory issues or data issues or human subjects protection issues. That um, that's one of the interesting things is feels like there's sort of an unlimited need to continue to learn, but children's is an excellent environment where there's so many learning opportunities. But a lot of it is, I think, Mag, I would agree with Mag and, and Stace would probably say the same thing. A lot of it, it's like any practice, right? You learn by doing and every study is different. Every situation is different, but that's part of the fun. It's always interesting. It's always fresh. There's always things that are new. Cindy, you, you mentioned so many different protocols and patients in all different clinical trials. I'm wondering, as the nursing staff, how do you keep up with all of this? And how much time do you have before you actually meet the patient where you can look at the protocol and really understand what's going on? I can answer that question. I mean, (laughs) implementation takes a long time sometimes. And so there are multiple different kinds of protocols. So you might have a project that's a drug company sponsored, or you might have a project that was initiated by a physician at the hospital. And so there is this phase in clinical research before you even see a participant, before you recruit anybody, um, called the implementation phase. And that um, consists of everything from you know, putting the protocol through the IRB, writing the consent forms, working with the pharmacy, working with the ETU, working with, let's say you have a patient that needs a special x-ray or an MRI. Um, And so there is this implementation phase where you sort of work up the protocol. So you are the expert in that protocol before a patient even enters into the conversation. So so that can be months. That's when we said, like with Stacy's job, for example, or Mag's job, it's not all direct care. You know, it's about 40, 50% that is working on all this implementation planning where you are very acquainted with every knit and grit of the protocol and everything that happens and how the patient moves through it. That is a unique part of the role where, again, it's not all direct care, but there's this huge planning, you know, you're developing the CPOE orders that are specific to each visit for the study. And there may be many, many visits over the course of a several year study. So you certainly have dedicated time to do that. And that's an important part of the role. And there's always a different challenge in implementation or over the course of the study. And I, I do find that a lot of people, nurses in particular, really enjoy the fact that the the challenges aren't the same every day. There's always something different. There's always a new issue to discuss. There's always a new hill to figure out how to how to implement something in the most appropriate way for pediatric patients. There's always something new. You know, it's all built on the backbone of those skills that nurses have about working with people and communication. It's all those same skills that apply to, okay, now it's time to negotiate the contract with the CTBO, or it's time to write the informed consent. All those things that you know as a clinician are transferable and relevant, and you just build on that. 
And as Maggie said, it's interesting because you do learn a lot of new things and, and there's always challenges. Even with studies, we think, oh, that's not going to be too bad. That'll be, you know, that won't be too hard. And then, you know, you get into it and there's always interesting things that serve as challenges, but there's always, nurses are great problem solvers. They really are. And so they are wired to do this work. <laughs> there's a nurse from the ETU that gets assigned to every single protocol um, that is going to come through the ETU. And so that nurse will partner with Maggie's group and also sort of be the expert to teach the other nurses at the bedside. Because as you mentioned, Denise, it is impossible for every nurse that's taking care of these patients to know every single study. And so we all have, you know, a portfolio of studies that we're experts on, but our part of our implementation would be to roll out education and any supporting kind of certifications or or whatever might be required by a specific protocol. And so I think that's the other piece of this is that that's really important and unique to this role is that you really are at the bedside, but you're also a liaison to the patient to making sure that whatever is coming out in those orders and the education is really all prepared and ready for the other nurses who will be taking care of those patients. You also mentioned earlier that the patients seem to be lining up or waiting for the next really study to come through. I'm wondering, can we shift gears a little bit and talk about the patient perspective and what it's like to work with patients who are being recruited for these studies? Like, what are some of the questions that they have and how do you answer questions when you don't know the answers yourselves? Yeah, so the informed consent really is an area that talks a lot about the research, but you also have to disclose all of the risks of the research. And when you are working with a novel therapy, sometimes you don't know what the risks are, right? So in a phase one trial, you're actually looking to figure out what the side effects are. Now, there are safety nets built into the protocol to help with patient safety. But oftentimes when you're the physicians are consenting a patient to a novel study, you don't know the side effects. And so, you know, for some of the studies we do, as Cindy said, they've been waiting for a particular novel therapeutic for maybe a, you know, a single gene mutation that somebody hasn't figured something out yet for. And then all of a sudden they have a, you know, gene therapy targeted for a specific gene in hearing loss. And now you are a patient population that has a clinical trial that you can possibly enroll in. So especially with things that are more novel or new therapies, informed consent process is very in-depth and every effort is made to make sure that the child is age appropriate and the family understand the risks, the benefits. And of course, families can withdraw from a study or a child can at any point in time, you know, after the point that they do consent and informed consent is an ongoing process. So that's an important part of what research nurses do is throughout the course of the study, let's say it's a two or three year study, is to continue to re-educate and make sure that families and kids are apprised. Likewise, a big part of the role is what we call adverse event assessment. And so the assessment skills of nurses where you're talking with families to see, you know, maybe if they're not here at the institution with their home on a therapy, what's going on so that any kind of potential adverse effect is being detected 
properly monitored and treated if needed. And so that's a big part of the role is ongoing education and adverse event, not only monitoring, but proper reporting if there are any adverse. Also, as far as the patient population, do you have patients that are inpatient and outpatient? So you see both, or is it strictly inpatient? Yeah, the Clinical Research Operations Center, um, our trials have both. And I, I think that, I don't know, each trial that we do is a little different. Some patients are eligible, let's say they're admitted for some other reason, and then they become eligible for a clinical trial based on sort of their diagnosis. Other patients get admitted because of a, you know, the the clinical trial that they're on. So, and then there are some that are a combination of inpatient and outpatient and long-term follow-up and and all of the different combinations you could possibly think of. And it's a nice opportunity there to partner with other clinical nurses across the organization who may be the direct caregiving nurse, but maybe not acquainted with the trial or the details of the trial. Um, and so, you know, there's often an opportunity to sort of partner and collaborate with clinical nurses that are throughout the organization. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Do you have primary nursing for a particular patient or is it more of a nursing team? You mentioned the bedside and then the more paperwork side of things. So it's more of a team as opposed to primary care, but it seems to me like the patients see one nurse more than the other. Would that be true or is that just something that I'm thinking in my head? It sounds that way, right? Because the ETU lead nurse might be the person who's the expert on the study, but is she's not the person necessarily that takes care of that patient. So, you know, it's an outpatient setting. And so patients, you know, come at any varying frequency for their visits. And so we have a group of where I think a total staff of 10 nurses. And so, you know, we staff the clinic um, based on our volume and acuity. And, you know, the expert nurse might be working that day, but she may not be. And that's where that education and the rollout is really critical. Um, we have a lot of, you know, our orders are built such that, you know, the actual activities for the day of the visit for that specific visit for that patient is very clear. All of the nurses are trained, obviously, in all of the important aspects of taking care of a patient, you know, on a clinical trial. But then we all also have astute assessment skills and, you know, those clinical skills that are needed, like what we draw blood and we put in IVs and we, you know, collect vital signs. But then that indirect role is really where we're able to provide the education and we also could be liaisons to if there was questions, you know, for another nurse or we'd provide that resource. So it's not really primary nursing. It's more like a team-based nursing, but it's unique because each nurse has an expert protocol, but they also take care of all of the patients on the unit. So you get to know a lot of different diagnoses and have an opportunity to participate in all the different clinical trials. I think it's so impressive, the role of the clinical research nurse in your setting. Where is the clinic located? I don't even think I know. It's on the sixth floor of the pavilion building. And so if you take the elevators right across to the cafeteria and you go up to six, you turn left and around the corner. So it's adjacent to six Northeast, which is an inpatient unit. It's a small unit. It's a small staff. 
most of the clinical research operations center where I work are down at one autumn and down at 21 autumn. And so oftentimes, um, and we still work remotely as well. So oftentimes we do a lot of our either implementation work or, you know, Zoom calls and that sort of thing in either the offices or at home. But when there is a patient visit, people are in the main hospital, either in the ETU or sort of in, in whatever other clinic that their patient is in. I'm Latina. I'm Spanish speaking. I'm bilingual. I, from my experience and what I've read, I represent a group or a population that still is not sufficiently represented in research, as are probably many communities of color, different yeah. races, ethnic backgrounds, etc. Can you speak to your experience? What's been like? Do you see that? And um, what are some of the barriers that um, that we need to work on so that we can recruit more diversity into our patients that come into studies? It's a really important question. And an important focus, I think, for everybody that's working in the clinical research communities and space where increasing effort all the time is put into thinking about that in terms of who we're recruiting and making sure that we have materials that are properly translated into different languages. We work on you know that all the time, but it's a very important consideration. And I will say that there are many underrepresented historically. Uh, and to some degree currently, populations of patients that we need to do a much better job around making enrollment into clinical trials more reasonable and possible. What would you describe as your best day as a clinical research nurse? It's just so much fun to work with the the nurses of the ETU and in, you know, Maggie's group in what we call CROC the clinical research operations group and that interdisciplinary team because they like each other so much. And despite the many challenges, it's very team-based work and it's fun. So I would say that's one of the best parts. And of course, it always is great to work with kids and families. And it's wonderful to work with families when they're excited about the opportunity to enroll in a study. Again, it feels like a very hopeful space where this is how and the only way that there are improved outcomes is through new therapies that are run through well-conducted trials. So what would you say, Stace? That's what I love about my job is that I'm a problem solver, right? Because I have to work with these teams. I have to collaborate with these teams. And often they're not clinicians, right? They're, they're people who are, you know, behind a computer writing, you know, this protocol that in theory should work, right? And then I get to be that person that sort of gets to manipulate what that looks like and how it reaches the patient. And I know, have a, you know, a pretty good knowledge of how Boston Children's works. I understand what it's like to be at the bedside. I see it from the parent and the patient experience. And so I get to sort of play that fun game of kind of, I guess, call it Tetris, right? Where you're kind of like using all of your resources that you have available to you at Children's, fitting the mold of sort of what, you know, the sponsor thinks should happen. And then that's where all the magic happens when everyone gets to come together at the table and really make it work for the patient. And then I get to see it firsthand clinically when I place that IV and the patient receives that therapeutic. And guess what? They don't have to take their factor anymore because their hemophilia is cured. It's amazing to watch something like that happen, you know, to have been the the lead nurse on a study like that. I was part of many studies where, you know, like 
you see something and patients are getting better, right? You don't know. We we don't always get to see the end result all the time, but you're watching patients clinically improve, parents who are so, so grateful to be part of the trial, to be at Boston Children's. They just are so grateful for the experience. Like somehow I had some hand in it, you know, but they're just so grateful for the nursing staff. So I get to witness that and, and really see that often, actually, more often than I expected when I came here. I came from an oncology unit where you could give some Zofran and make their nausea better, right? And it was an immediate, you felt like you were giving immediate comfort in that moment. And so in clinical research, you don't always see that in the small moments, but over time, you get to see it. And I have witnessed it in my career here, and that's been really amazing. And I, I guess I would build on that and say the same thing. You know, I, I've talked a lot about uh, um, implementation of clinical trials, but we oftentimes work with physicians and they have, when they come to us, maybe what seems like an impossible idea. And we work with them to implement it within within the hospital and then getting that first patient enrolled on the trial for all of that work you did beforehand. It is very, very rewarding to see those things come to fruition over time. Yeah, I think too, things like first in human trials or where you're doing what we call translational work, where you take basic science findings and you move that into a human protocol. You know, it's very interesting and it's fun because it's interesting and you do have a lot of autonomy around. I mean, you need to figure out how you're going to make it work, but you do, <laughs> you know, have autonomy as a nurse in terms of trying to figure that out with a team. Um, to ensure the best and safest care, you know, for the kids. I, I think the challenges are fun and, and are make for a great day. Can when you say translating it into a human protocol, what can you give like a little example? Like for me, so as a nurse, I can envision what is it that comes from from one place so that it can become part of the protocol. Can you give an example of what that is? So, like is um, it signs or medication administration? Is what is so it? So I usually use this as an example. We had an investigator who came to us and said that they wanted to paint a dye on a patient's heart during cardiac surgery. And they wanted to use this big, tall microscope and sort of all these logistics. And they had only done it in animals. So there are steps that you have to take to help them implement it. You know, first is working with the FDA to make sure that it's sort of approved in the FDA. And then you have to come to Boston Children's and implement it. And we worked with the OR to implement things. We, you know, tried to get this, you know, huge microscope into the OR appropriately to get the dye from pharmacy. And then, you know, to have surgeons use it during surgery. Painted on the heart so that then it highlights the conduction pathways so that they don't accidentally cut the conduction pathways during cardiac surgery. Or put a Not stitch in the conduction yeah. pathway, yeah. So that is very much an oversimplification, but that is something that started in an animal research lab that now is in its, you know, second phase of clinical trials at Boston Children's. So what we're talking about is findings in a basic science lab, right? And translating those into therapies that are fit for humans. And of course, all these studies go through animal models first. I know that sounds sort of weird, but that that's the natural progression is through several animal models uh, before they get to an environment that's clinical for humans. 
some of the things are very sci-fi that people <laughs> investigators come up with. We're like, what? You want to do what? <laughs> it's fascinating. And, you know, in most cases it's doable, even though, you know, it, it may be a big lift and take, you know, a big interdisciplinary team and lots of steps and processes and different disciplines. You know, you have to get into drug development and you might need to use outside agencies. And so very collaborative work, but nurses are a great fit for that. That's what you do all day in the clinical environments is collaborate with all different kinds of families and people and kids and disciplines. And so you're primed for this kind of a role. I can't imagine doing it without a nurse on the team. You it, couldn't do it. it. Just, it just, oh, no. I don't, I don't know how it would work, honestly. They are pivotal uh, to this work. And, you know, maybe investigators in the beginning didn't know that, but boy, do they know it by the time you've got it through to implementation. As a staff member working outside of the ETU, um, when a patient who is enrolled in a study is admitted to their unit or shows up in the ED, can you share any um, advice as far as communication? How do we recognize that they're in a study? And also the second part would be documentation. Is there anything that you need? But in terms of documentation, most of the time, the, um, the clinical research team often knows when their patient is getting admitted and they may show up at the bedside with a little binder and they'll show up and say, hi, I'm the research nurse. Here is, you know, a binder with education. I can sit with you and go over the education. I can leave it here for you. You can go over it. Here's my number. And then they'll, they'll oftentimes give a short or a brief overview of what the patient is there for. And if there are requirements in terms of documentation, so what time a med is given, what time a lab draw, um, if there are special tubes for, you know, things that we call, you know, um, pharmacokinetics or pharmacodynamics, or they'll bring them to you. Uh, they'll bring you the tubes. They'll say, you know, 15 minutes before the drug goes up, I need you to draw these two tubes and I need you to page me. I will come and get them from you. And so oftentimes that that's the process when somebody is admitted to a floor that that isn't used to clinical research. Families too are often, or typically, if it's some kind of therapeutic that they're receiving on a study, given information, you know, that they are instructed to take with them. If they have some episodic illness and have to go to the ED or show up somewhere, and that usually has the contact information for the investigator or the study team member who should be paged and be available, either if they need to come in or respond to questions. And if, all, if they're on any research medications, that's also in their medication list. So um, all of our nurses, if they were seen through the ETU, all of our nurses would document that on the medication list and reference the principal investigator's you know, name, pager number, as well as the protocol number. But most of the time, there's at least one note or some sort of documentation that sort of explains why they're on a research study. But if it's a scheduled admission or, or something that is known, the research team is always providing education, either at the bedside or prior to the arrival. If we have, like on the ETU, if we have kids that are scheduled for inpatient visits, that's often on 6 Northeast. And a huge amount of work is put into creating checklists for, you know, for the direct caregiving nurse, um, huddles, check-ins with that nurse, 
we'll rack their tubes, which if there's special, you know, labs that have to be drawn, we rack them. They're at the bedside. They're ready to go. Uh, we'll even come over and help draw bloods if that's needed. And so, again, typically there's information in the chart and the family has information if the child is really on it there. In the emergency room, we have research assistants, too, that are looking at the patients that are coming in and thinking about recruiting them for studies. As the nurses on the team, how do you collaborate with the research assistants who are at the bedside? So, you know, in every environment, it's different. Like the ED, that's their own dedicated coordinators that they hire and supervise. And they really have those staff employed to screen for enrollment for their many open studies that are specific to the ED. That's what that cadre is for. The way we work with uh, coordinators in the ED or in the ETU is a little bit different. And Stace, you might want to elaborate on that. Yeah, sure. So it, again, starts back at that implementation phase, right? Just like lots of collaboration that happens up front. We're very clear about what can be delegated to a research coordinator, what is delegated to a licensed clinician. And then we review that again as we onboard new studies. If a research coordinator hasn't utilized the ETU at all, they get a pretty extensive education about sort of what it means to conduct trials in the ETU, roles and responsibilities of, you know, like a nurse or versus a coordinator their role in the implementation process, their role at the study visit, et cetera. And then, you know, we meet ahead of each visit with each of the research coordinators to sort of, we call it a huddle, but it's basically just a little chat about sort of what's expected at the visit, you know, what they can expect from us, what we would expect of them, and just sort of a real clear conversation about roles and responsibilities. And obviously they too are experts, you know, on their studies. And so the collaboration is really key to ensure a really smooth, safe study visit. I would say that's sort of a unique thing with clinical research nursing versus like if you're a clinician inpatient unit or in a uh, ambulatory environment is as a nurse in an inpatient unit, you're you're really dealing only with licensed personnel unless it's a clinical assistant that reports to you, right? And so you're just assuming you're dealing all the time with licensed personnel for a clinical research nurse like in the ETU. You're dealing all the time with a large group of non-licensed personnel, and they're often entry levels, people who've recently, you know, maybe graduated from college. And so that is a, a really different aspect to the work. And Stacy makes an important part about very clear delegation of responsibility in order to safeguard study subjects that only licensed personnel are conducting activities, direct care patient, you know, activities and activities that require licensure because often non-licensed people don't know what they're not allowed to do. They're often very interested, you know, in direct patient care. And I'm not in any way critical of that, but it is a very different aspect than, uh, again, when you're working in an environment where everybody around you is pretty much licensed. As you're talking about all of the work that the clinical research nurse is doing, what keeps coming back into my mind is when I hear the talk about Boston Children's Hospital, where the world comes for answers. And I can't help but think that the answers really are coming from you and from your department and all the work that you're doing there. And it's such an incredible responsibility that I just wonder, what was it that made you really want to do this kind of work all day, every day? Really, I feel like you were right on the front lines. Well, you know, this is one thing that's, I think, extremely invisible to most of our clinical staff in the institution is that 
when you look at Boston Children's and you say, what is their unique signature? When you look at all the children's hospitals across the country and the world, it is basic science discovery. They are the maven. This is the place. And so it's very unique that way. It's just that it's happening over in Enders. It's happening over in CARP. It's happening over the Broad. And so it's very invisible to most of us that are doing direct patient care. But you're right. That is why people come to Boston Children's Hospital for answers, is this long, deep tradition of basic science discovery that leads to new therapies and new treatments. You can work as a clinician um, or a clinical nurse in the environment and really know very little about this, even if you've worked here for a very long time. But this makes us really different than any place else on the globe that's a children's institution. I find that just a really good thing <laughs> and mm -hmm. interesting and a good place to, you know, sort of focus a career on. We're the yeah. world's largest research. Pediatric oh, research. This is, this is the I mean, like, oh, yeah, this is it. No question about it. There's nobody that's uh, even then when you look at grant funding and NIH funding across all the, the pediatric institutions, this is it. This is the place. But again, this is a very long, robust history and tradition. And so we're primed to be the place to translate new therapies for kids into better outcomes. It's just interesting, incredibly fascinating work. And especially given all the discoveries of the last 15 plus years, and it will only be more this way. Uh, we're only seeing more novel, amazing therapeutics for kids. Some are what we call in of one studies where therapies are designed for a specific child based on their particular genetic defect. I and mean, it's fascinating and amazing work. So there are different studies for sometimes the same diagnosis mm -hmm. uh, with, with, very oh, yeah. with very passionate investigators. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you guys use like artificial intelligence for predictions about the outcomes or selection of the protocols? Like how, how is the study decided? Typically in an ideal state within a department or division, which is, you know, the physician practice, you know, of a certain subspecialty. If it's a very robust environment for research, it's really the faculty that come together and uh, sometimes there's hundreds of open and enrolling studies in an apartment or division. And it's really the faculty that have to come together and decide, okay, we have this one kid who is eligible for these three studies. And they have to determine how the studies are going to be prioritized. So maybe they rotate, right? Maybe it's a study that can only enroll kids 12 months to 18 months, and there aren't very many. So maybe they come to consensus about, look, we're going to rotate enrollment. This study is going to be presented to this family, the next family, this study. So it's really an important exercise, if you will, to prevent conflict, honestly, between investigators if you're, you know, if you're trying to enroll the same patient populations. And so I, I hope that makes sense. It's not something we decide. It's our job to understand, for example, if we're involved in those studies, you know, what's the priority for this particular family? What study is going to be presented? Without that kind of a process, it can lead to tension between faculty members, uh, you know, who are you know, trying to enroll patients on their study. 
Yeah. At the same time, sort of, there are all kinds of interventional trials, but there are also biobanking trials, which are sample collection trials. There are quality of life studies. There's all kinds of other stuff going on at the same time as well. So patients at times are eligible for, for more than one study. So they may be eligible for an interventional trial. And at the same time, you know, um, somebody is approaching them to be mm-hmm. part of a, a trial where their um, samples are, are banked for future use. And then they may also be asked to provide, you know, consent for a quality of life study related to their, their diagnoses. So there are oftentimes multiple layers of different trials. That and in the ideal state, this is all coordinated. This is the be- the best service of the family is that, okay, we know they're eligible for these three studies. You know, who's going to approach them? Is one person going to approach for all three studies? You know, I think it's hard on families, very honestly, when it's not coordinated. And, you know, I have known situations where families have said, literally, to be a patient here, do you have to be on a research study? Because without that coordination, multiple teams had approached them at a point that maybe was not ideal. And so, again, the role of collaborating with the direct caregiving nurse is critical. We would never consider approaching, for example, an inpatient without conferring you know, with the direct caregiving team, you know, the physician and the nurse caring for the patient to make sure is this an appropriate time? Is this a good day? Is this, again, all with the goal of being of the best service to the family? I think there's confusion between what a nurse scientist does and what you guys oh, yeah. do. Can you also speak to, are there nurses who are PIs? Yes. So there's a difference. What we're talking about mostly today is clinical research nursing. And that is different than nursing research. So. Nursing research is research around nursing practice, and it is typically the principal investigator is typically a doctorally prepared nurse. And these are often, you know, when we talk about doctorally prepared nurses, you know, we could be talking about DMPs or PhDs, but the education and training of a PhD nurse is directed at research. Okay. And so you can as and not the DNPs can't conduct their own research or serve as a PI. They can, but their education and training is different than if you go into a PhD program as a nurse where you are prepared in nursing research. That's the focus of your education. And so if you're a nurse that says, you know, I want to dedicate my career where I want to be the principal investigator and have my own body of research, then you might pursue a PhD. And that's might might be who we would anticipate would serve as a principal investigator of a nursing research study. That's not to say a DMP could not be a principal investigator. But when you say, if I'm going to pursue as an advanced degree or a terminal degree, a DMP or a PhD, if you're somebody who says, I want to get my own grant funding and dedicate my career to research, nursing research, then you would probably go down that path. And so, yes, nurses can absolutely be principal investigators, just as physicians can, or physical therapists can, or pharmacists can. 
And so a principal investigator, um, you know, can come from many professional disciplines. At Children's, the typical profile is a physician investigator. And many of those people have basic science parts of their life or their career, you know, so they may be a provider, but they also may have a lab, you know, a wet lab where they have part of their life is dedicated to basic science discovery. So certainly nurses could be principal investigators. You know, this unit was one of the original NIH-funded GCRCs, General Clinical Research Units. And this was a nationwide initiative that started in the very late 1950s, where federal dollars were dedicated to academic medical centers to create clinical research units. And, and people still call this unit the GCRC. You know, there's one at MGH, there's one in Israel, there's one, you know, at all the big academic centers. They've been in place since the late 1950s and, and continually funded with federal dollars to create an environment to really advance, you know, healthcare for the nation. But today it's called experimental therapeutic, <laughs> but it's the old GCRC. It's, it's a clinical research. So if each of you were to give one word of advice or one thing that you want our listeners to know about clinical research nursing, what would that be? Depending on the, you know, kind of how you're wired. I think it can create a nice career pathway for a balanced career when you're working in a very high acuity environment where all your time is not direct patient care, but part of your time is learning and thinking about other things that are certainly related. And I think that is one really nice thing about it. Yeah, I find that it's been a really nice sort of synthesis of like where I've been and where I'm going. I've been able to really blend a lot of my clinical assessment skills and my just my clinical re nursing skills with my new acquired research knowledge, which is still growing. But I think, as you mentioned before, it's just this is really the front line of discovery. And that's what keeps me engaged. And it's different every day. And I wasn't expecting that when I first transferred here. And that's been, I think, the best surprise of it all. Yeah, I would say working five days a week is not scary. We have. Um, <laughs> That's we, right. I forgot. Yeah, we have uh, a lot of really cool challenges that that we you know get to help with on a daily basis. We have really great work life balance. We work with some amazing nurses, physicians, clinical research coordinators. IRB analysts, uh, clinical trials, business office, um, you know, associates. We work with so many people across the hospital. I feel like when I entered clinical research, my eyes were just open to all of these other people that work within the hospital. And so I really enjoy that part. And we have some really strong relationships and collaborations all across Boston Children's Hospital. So if I were a new grad and I thought I was interested in clinical research, what would you suggest? Should I get some experience in hematology oncology first or what? What would you suggest? Well, I always think there's no substitute for being an outstanding experienced clinician. You know, in our environment, you know, we're talking about high acuity pediatrics. There is just because you just know how to think about things. Yeah, in, any, in any department, not anything. not just in Hemonk. There are lots of other. We oh, just, yeah. We just yeah. all sort of have Hemonk backgrounds, which isn't necessarily it just sort of is the fluid. standard for the rest yeah. of the people. That, that no, 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 not at all. Okay. No. But I, I think always honing your knowledge 
really deep knowledge about clinical care, there's never a substitute for that in that you've got that. It's never a black box in your mind. You just walk into anything and you know how to think about it because you have that knowledge, you have that experience. So I would say to anybody, probably, you know, you could pick any number of environment, but it's hard to come up with a substitute for that. That's not based in experience. And learn, you know, read a lot, think a lot. Don't go through the motions, really learn it, think about it. And it will serve you so well with whatever you do. Now, I want to thank all of you. This has been an amazing podcast. Just from the basics, I, understanding the difference between like neuroscientist and a nurse clinical research role. And for somebody who's been a direct care on the front line as a direct care provider for rounding the corner to 40 years, it is amazing to see like just the advances that have made and to know the role that nursing makes is just so empowering and just fills you with pride for your whole profession. You know, I look at over the years, just like advances with the care of kids, with uh, our patients with cystic fibrosis, our patients, like even like RSV. And, and do you remember when all the hemophilia kids, all of them, all of them died from AIDS? You don't see that. Exactly. Anymore. You don't see, ever see that. You know, for yeah. people who lived through that and saw that, it's transformational to see mm -hmm. clinical research that changed all of that. Certain people are just sort of interested and drawn to that. Truly mm. remarkable work and such an impact. And I think, Cindy, you said it earlier, where not many people are aware of the impact that the role of the nurse in this setting actually makes in, in changing the lives of patients. Yeah, and, and being able to translate that science into the care of kids. I mean, sometimes we just literally fall off a chair laughing because investigators will suggest things. You've lost your mind, you know, but we can help you find the way to get that done in a way that's safe and appropriate. This is a big, important space for nurses, uh, for sure. And always fun and sometimes a little bit funny. <laughs> you got to have a sense of humor. In oh, you got it. Oh, you, oh, yeah. Or you'd lose your mind. Oh, you would, you would, you would. <laughs> but it's so nice to hear the amount of support that's available. You There's know, nothing just we'd rather do than partner with, you know, our bedside colleagues to help them in any way. We just don't want to break our uh, clinical research trial patients or <laughs> mess up your study. Right. Or do something wrong. Yeah. No. Just Well, the biggest well, thing is you, you recognize the amount of work. Right. You just don't want to mess up. You know, like the boatload of work that goes into getting these going just by the sheer volume of what comes to us in paper and information and the education. I think the bedside nurses really shoulder a lot of that, like concern that, they you do. know, that we do things do. right. Yes, they do. You know. And and sometimes it's a, a big lift on top of a, a typical assignment if you have high acuity patients, you know. And so, again, you know, we want to be a good partner to help yeah. anyway. I think this will help our staff that and our interdisciplinary group that listen to us as well, our followers. So thanks right. again. It's just been such a privilege to, to sit and mm -hmm. listen to you guys tonight. And thank you so much. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for having us. Yes, yes thank you so much. This podcast is sponsored by the Innovation Digital Health Accelerator, Boston Children's Hospital, with support from the emergency department and our inpatient medicine programs. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Small Talk Podcast.